everybody, Tim and Mike here. Welcome to the Vox Podcast. We are thrilled that you would be joining us. Tim is on very special assignment to where? Where are you? Currently, I am in uh, San Luis Obispo. Yes, which um, is the home of Cal Poly Slow. Yes. Which stands for slow, I learned later, was San Luis Obispo. And yes. evidently, it's super beautiful, correct? Yeah, it's pretty nice. That You know what? The nice part, the nicest uh, uh, part is the weather. Yeah. It is cool and overcast and beautiful. I mean, the kids are in sweatshirts and it's late July. Oh, you love that. I do. You, if, if you were a cloth, you would be flannel. And if you flannel were... Flannel or... But probably... Like flannel, maybe, maybe publicly... Oh, but uh, in private, it'd be more like whatever the really good sweatshirt material is, not terry cloth, but like okay. just the soft sweatshirt material. That's okay. Where I'd go. Okay. Um, and if you were a weather system, you would be overcast in 60. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to clarify that for everybody. As always, just, just in case you were wondering, just in case you were wondering what uh, what Tim Stafford's like. As always, our friend Bonnie, Tim Gombas have launched podcasts into the world, so please check those out. Tim Shell Podcast is Bonnie's. Faith Improvised is uh, Tim Gombas's, and uh, we highly encourage you uh, encourage you to look at those as well. So we um, we last episode we talked about um, wanting to find a, a place, a way of being political in the world that was neither right nor left nor religious. And to do that, we're going to be looking at some of the most famous words of, of this Palestinian fellow Jesus, who um, uh, not only did a bit of preaching and teaching um, 2,000 years ago, but um, we're still big fans. And his words, I think, have particular relevance and resonance to where we are today. So we're going to be going through this. And you don't have to believe this is the word of God, or you don't have to believe that Jesus is the son of God or any of those things to benefit from what he's doing here. Um, those are those are some of the assumptions we have. But Vox has always been a place where bring, please bring your questions. Please bring your doubts. Please bring. We're not afraid and no one is afraid of the big things that sit behind issues about the Bible or issues about God or whatever. Um, and so so we're, we're going to be marching through a bit of text today. And, and what we wanted to do was uh, we're going to have Tim's wife, Shauna, um, at least start uh, throughout the episodes, uh, just a different voice reading the text. And so we're going to start today in Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There you go. She has the voice of an angel. How long have you been married? How long have you been married? Uh, This year was our 15th. Nice. Nice. How many of those happily? 15. Just kidding. Just totally kidding. Totally kidding right there. All right. Now, Tim, yes. your job uh, is to interrupt me and, and make sure this, this sucker doesn't get bogged down by me rambling on because I find this stuff utterly and thrillingly fascinating. Yeah. Right. You could lose me for weeks. In fact, you have. Um, um, so this, I mean, this is the thing I enjoy most in the world. And so your job, Tim, if the episode bogs down, it is simply your fault. Cause I'm in my natural habitat. If left to I myself, down, I wrote down some jokes. So every now and then I'll just, I'll just pop in and, and tell a joke. Perfect. That, that's <laughs> what I'm talking about. So, um, before we do that, let me run by. Uh, and I'm just saying this because my 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 brother is visiting from California, and what? so my my mom, yep, sweet Brad, my mom um, and Brad have been over the last couple of nights, and my mom comes from very rural Ohio, and uh, a farm, um, pre electricity, and and she has kind of these sayings that echo through our family that I never hear anyone else use until she's with us. And then she uses them and I just think they're the greatest things ever. So uh, I just want to give you a couple of those, just kind of start uh, for no no reason other than you had mentioned you had jokes and I thought, oh, well, here's some <laughs> things, <got> jokes. <laughs> here are things I can say. Um, her, her best one ever is, if you're going to be dumb, you got to be tough. And, yep. I feel like that's a Bruce Springsteen lyric. Well, it, it probably is a song lyric, but it, it perfectly encapsulates my life um, and her parenting philosophy. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I just love it. If you're going to be dumb, you got to be tough. A couple of other ones. I know you're not asking for these. No one is asking for these. If I were tweeting a meme right now, I'd put nobody blank. <laughs> Mike. Oh, these are Midwestern uh, rules to live by. Rules to live by. Uh, if somebody asks how you are, you you say finer than frog hair. Oh. And if I like, you, I like that. Finer yeah, it, than frog hair. Yeah. And if you're thinking to yourself, I didn't know frogs had hair. It, it's exactly the point. I'm doing so well. That I'm finer than frog hair. Okay. See, this is so very helpful. This um, I can I can hear our listeners turning off right now, turning their their. Uh, uh, here's here's one. If if um, if something's really intimidating, you say it scares me and I'm fearless. Yes, I thought that that's good. And then. Um, this is my favorite, and, and it can be used in any situation whatsoever, okay? For, for good news or bad news, all right? Sometimes <laughs> you get the bear, and sometimes the bear gets you. 
Yeah, that's uh, 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 what's his face in The Big Lebowski, Sam Elliott when he's is the that, stranger or the the uh, the cowboy. Sometimes is that what he, he says? eats the bar, and sometimes the bar eats you. <laughs> All right, this has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> You're welcome, internet, for that. Um, okay, so uh, Shauna has set up for us. Uh, the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, a group of sayings that are called Beatitudes, and they're called that because of a Latin word that is translated blessed um, into English. But um, before we get there, Tim, we've got to set the table on what these things are, because these are very, very misunderstood parts of the teaching of Jesus, okay? So, first of all, and I know this is a very complicated question, um... What comes before chapter five, Tim? What comes before chapter five? <laughs> chapter four comes before chapter five. Okay, so that that's a trick question. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> just chapter four. And so in chapter five Genesis? <laughs> Jesus? In chapter five. Uh, the first verse is now when Jesus saw the crowds, now who are the crowds? Well, guess what? Chapter four tells us who the crowds are. So in chapter four, we, we get the first glimpse of the message of Jesus, which is repent for the kingdom of heaven. It has come near. And we're going to talk about that in a future episode. Cause that, that, that's really important. You understand, we understand what that is. That is not about going to heaven when you die. That is about yeah. heaven, the presence of the king coming, the king of heaven coming here uh, to reclaim his authority. Yeah. And immediately after Jesus says this in chapter 4, 17, he then begins to gather followers. And, and we read the specific instance of, of two sets of brothers uh, who were fishermen that he invites to follow him. And then we read that Jesus went throughout Galilee, right, which is northern Israel, teaching, proclaiming, and healing. Now that triad sets up the next several chapters of what of Matthew's gospel. Jesus is going to teach and proclaim here, and then he's going to heal in chapters eight and nine. All right, so five through seven are him teaching and proclaiming, eight and nine are him healing. We'll spend more time on that. But but these are the crowds, okay? He uh, was healing every disease and sickness among all the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, Decapolis, which was a Gentile region across the Sea of Galilee, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Right? So you have this massive throng of people. And who? the only hints we get of who makes up these people are day laborers like the fishermen and people who are sick and ill and demon-possessed. Right? Yes. So these are not the best and brightest of uh, Jewish culture. <laughs> so with chapter five, when it says Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Now, 
Again, no one cares. This is me, the geek, Tim. Keep this flowing, man. Keep it flowing. But when, I like the geek, though. When Jesus goes on a mountainside and sits down, this is a direct callback to Moses receiving the Torah. Matthew's gospel is all about Jesus as the new Moses. That's why yeah. there's an Egypt story. That's why Jesus' life was threatened. These are all callbacks to the life of Moses. The Matthew, Matthew's gospel is built around five sections of teaching that are like the five books of Torah. I mean, it's just so instantly the picture you're getting if you're Jewish is that Jesus went on a mountainside and sat down. So yeah. he is now about to give authoritative and definitive revelation. All right. So there's a there's a whole big Jewish thing that's happening even before you get to what he's saying. Yeah. So he sits down and he begins. And who's he talking to? He's talking to no one. No one cares about the opinions of the crowds that are following him. These are not, yeah. as far as we know, the best and the brightest. He begins with these nine blessings. Now, we have to, we have to, Tim, keep me going, keep me focused. Because there these these blessings are so brutally misunderstood, I think. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so I want to give three examples of how they are misunderstood yep all right and this is super important because it then obviously gets us to like oh hey this is what they are the first and most and most important distortion of these has been that this is some sort of ethical ladder or set of ideals that tell us how to be blessed Okay. okay. So, so, I mean, literally one of my favorite authors, a guy named John Stott said, yes. Yeah, so if you start out poor in spirit, you're going to mourn. And if you are a mourner, then you will become meek. And if you're meek, you will hunger and thirst for righteousness. And it was literally a step. Right. Right. And if then statement, if you want to be blessed, be a peacemaker. If you want to be blessed, be merciful. Yeah. And, and so this is some sort of ethical list of behaviors to emulate. And um, this is so not so. So let me just repeat this. Jesus is not telling you how to be blessed, nor is he commending that you become persecuted or whatever as a result of this. Now he'll commend some of these things elsewhere. Of course, meekness yeah. is a good thing and mercy is a good thing and peacemaking is a good thing. But that's not what he's doing here. These are not if-then statements. First, they're given to a community of people. They're not, see, we individualize everything. And so the problem with the old evangelical analysis is these are individual virtues. They're not. Right. Yeah. Right. There are groups of people. And he's talking to a huge group of people. The second thing is that he's giving a description of the kinds of people who will be in his kingdom. Now, that is super important. And the way we understand that is because of the word blessed. Okay, this word blessed, there are two Greek words with Hebrew backgrounds uh, that can mean blessed. One of them, the one that's not used here, has to do with wishing for God's favor on something. Okay. Okay, so it's like, hey, God bless them when, when they're sick. It's like you're, you're hoping for something to happen. Yeah. All right, that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. The other word, and the, the word that Jesus uses, is the word that stands for something that's already happened. That includes present blessing, but future blessing too. So for instance, 
Um, if I say, blessed is the child, that blessed is the happy child of Tim and Shauna Stafford, because they will inherit the Stafford estate. Right now, let's say you actually have an estate. Yeah, I said a bummer for that kid. Yeah, well, let, let, or maybe maybe happy is the child of Bill and Melinda Gates. <laughs> um, the idea is they're currently the child of Bill and Melinda Gates, and it's in virtue of that relationship that they find themselves promised an inheritance that's sure to come. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the blessing isn't, hey, I hope they're blessed. The blessing is, no, no, they're already blessed in virtue of who they are. Okay? You don't, you don't have to do this to be the child of Bill and Melinda Gates. You are already the child of Bill and Melinda Gates, and that's why you're blessed. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, so is the blessing in the way, or the blessed in the way you're talking about it, uh... And in how we were setting this up last week with the now and not yet. Yes, that's exactly what they are. In fact, the, the, the tenses change throughout the Beatitudes. That's right? The first one, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The eighth one, uh, b uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, and then you have, um, for theirs is... Uh, for they will be comforted, for they will inherit, for they will be shown mercy. Yeah. So it actually, the tenses actually reflect both parts of this. So these are not ethical ideals to try to climb or to emulate, although they're, they're definitely given that way later and in other places. Here, what Jesus is doing is he's pronouncing blessing that already exists because of his presence and right. the availability of the kingdom of the heaven given first to these people. Right. Right. This is so unbelievably important. And in fact, the first uh, beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Greek there isn't for theirs is the kingdom. It's um, for the kingdom is made up of such as these. Oh, that is a massive yeah. difference in, in import. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea is Jesus is looking at the poor in spirit and he's saying, this is what you'll find in my kingdom. Yeah. The merciful, this is what you'll find in my kingdom. They're blessed already. Blessed is the currently happy child of Bill and Melinda Gates. But also because there's an inheritance in their future that they don't have to work for, but it's theirs already in virtue of the position they hold. Yeah, that makes sense. Right? Boom. So these are not in any way, shape, and form some some religious ladder to climb. All right? That's well, it's interesting with that Moses point. parallel too, right, then, uh, for, the, for what Moses was delivering from the mountain. Well... Now, that's interesting because there were components of Moses' teaching that were conditional. Yeah. But some scholars think that the, all Moses gave were the Ten Commandments the first time. So the first time he goes up the mountain, it's just the Ten Commandments. Yeah, or 15 in the, in the Mel Brooks version. <laughs> God no. gave me these 15, <laughs> 10 commandments. <laughs> No, that's good though. Um, no, the the idea was when when God when Moses went up the first time, he got the Ten Commandments, and those were just and they were not even called commandments; they were the Ten Words. Yeah, and they were what it meant to be God's redeemed people. Remember, mm -hmm. the first commandment is, "I am the Lord your God, right. who rescued you out of Egypt." 
So it's already grace. You're already in that relationship. Therefore, boom, 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 boom. Yeah. So in that way, there's parallel. Uh, but Jesus is going to interact with the law with the law of Moses in a couple of episodes in a really unique way, and that's where we, we get into some of that. Yeah. All right. So the first distortion is that this isn't some ethical ladder to climb. Second yeah. distortion is that these are separate individual commitments. So, so we think the meek is one thing, the merciful are another thing, the peacemakers are another thing, the, right, the poor in spirit, that's a different thing. So we think, like, that, we think he's calling out certain little sections of people. Yes, yes. And that's not what he's doing. And here's yeah. the reason we know that, all right? The, 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 the first and the eighth beatitude, all right? There are nine, but the first and the eighth uh, form something in biblical literature called an inclusio. All right. Now this is a, this is something that gospel writers use all over the place. An inclusio is the repetition of an image or a word or a phrase in two separate sections in order to bracket and explain material between the two sections. Okay. Okay. So they sandwich something. So in this case, theirs is the kingdom of heaven um, in the first beatitude and in the eighth beatitude, um, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven that forms a sandwich and that sandwich is meant to interpret the whole. None of the individual pieces are to be interpreted apart from the whole. All right. Yeah. And Mark does this in, um, Jesus cursing the fig tree. Um, Jesus, Jesus, um, curses a fig, he curses a fig tree. He goes and he cleanses the temple and then he comes out and the disciples look at the fig tree and say, Oh, it's never going to grow fruit again. Right. And the way Mark uses that is to explain what Jesus did at the temple. He's cursed the temple for being unfruitful. Right. So this is a very important literary technique that the gospel writers use to explain things. Yeah. So the way we should see the the eight beatitudes, the ninth one, the ninth one's different because Jesus he uses it to refer to himself. Yeah. Blessed are those who are persecuted or insulted because of me. That one's different, and we'll get to why in, in a second. But those eight, the idea is Tim Mackey uses this great image of like there are eight pieces of a um uh, a stained glass window that each have importance and color on their yeah, own, yeah. but together they form an image. Yeah. Right. That's a good metaphor. Yes. I, that's why I'm stealing it from Tim Mackey from the Bible project. Yes. It's a great metaphor. So these are not just separate pieces of, oh yeah, he was just looking around and, and he thought, oh, okay, well, let's affirm these people. And let's affirm these people. No, no, this is very intentional. Yeah. And as it turns out, when you put together the eight beatitudes and then the ninth one about being persecuted, who's the image that forms? Poor in spirit, mourning, meek, hunger and thirsting for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemaker and persecuted. Who, who do you get? Yeshua. Yes. Yeah. Right. So Jesus, our I mean, the Beatitudes, friend. our Palestinian friend. <laughs> exactly right. Now, so first distortion, they're um, some sort of ethical ideals. Can you hear Second, this construction? Oh, yes. 
Uh, it's okay, Tim. It's okay. I could go close windows and doors. Don't do it. All You're right. fine. All right. You're fine. Listen, people need to know we're all under construction. All right. It's a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm just, I'm getting in teaching mode, Tim, and you got to keep interrupting me. Okay. All right. So first, um, abuse of these is that they're individual ethical ideals. Yeah. Secondly, is that they're to be considered individually as yeah. moral commitments. Thirdly, that these are just random call outs. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus is just looking around. He's like, hey, you look merciful. Blessed are you. Jesus hey, just you riffing. look like you're poor in spirit. Yeah. Blessed are you. <laughs> right? I mean, that is so You've got red hair. Doing. Blessed are you. Yes, exactly. No, see, and this is where we get into the problem with how we as Americans interpret the Bible. Yeah. Okay? So, the poor in spirit... And those who mourn, that comes from Isaiah 61. The context of Isaiah 61 is it's, a, it's about the restoration of Israel and the return of Yahweh to Zion after exile. So you're sitting there. He's talking to Jewish people. He's a Jewish rabbi. And, he, and the poor in spirit, there's also Isaiah 66, which talks about the poor and humble in spirit that are favored by God. So it could be a reference there too. But Isaiah 61 is the text that Jesus preaches in Luke 4, his inaugural sermon, yeah. right? It, it is uh, upon me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Um, and, um, and, and there, there is a mention of the poor. And then there's also mention of the, those who mourn, but it's all in the context of what's happening to the entity Israel, that um, they're, they're the poor in spirit of those who yearn and hope for the restoration of Israel and the return of Yahweh to the city, yeah. to the Jerusalem. And those who mourn are not just people who are sad or depressed, that these are people who mourn over the state of Israel. And the hope that's given in Isaiah is that the ancient city will be rebuilt. Yeah. This okay. Is, this is difficult. This is tough. Or this is a conversation that comes up a lot about like, you know, when you go to youth camp and they just give you the new, you know, just like, here's the new Testament and maybe some Psalms scattered in there as well. But there, but all this context that sits within all this stuff to just hand somebody, uh, you know, Matthew and say, Hey, just read this. Right. When, you know, or, or you get a Bible that's got a, um, you know, reference thing. What are they called? I'm Study Bible. Out. Yeah. But then yeah. a lot of those tend to ha have so much uh, personal yeah. whatever. And yeah. then they become. And guess what? Guess what? What? The Bible was never meant to be just sat and read alone ever. It's always meant to be done in community. It was yeah. never even, even in the synagogues, right? As you would be memorizing huge portions of the text. I mean, this was all done together. Yeah. And in conversation with the great tradition that existed before. Yeah. So, yes, I mean, I've done that where I've just given Bibles and I do believe absolutely that the Bible is clear enough in some of its central aspects to to present Jesus in a way that's compelling. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But um, I also think you can spend your whole life going after this and never reach the bottom of it. Yeah, it's very interesting. But see, when I read poor in spirit. Or when I read mourn, I, I immediately turn that into Western American Christian individualism. Yeah. And I say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those who are sad, yes, will be comforted, right? In heaven. Well, we're taught that a lot too here. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
This is not what Jesus is doing at all. Yeah. All right. So you get to the next two meek and hunger and thirsting for righteousness. All right. These come from the Psalms and they have to do the focus of each of their Psalms, Psalm 37 and Psalm 107 has to do with repossession of the land. So, and it says meek will inherit the earth. The, 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 the word for earth and land are the same word. Okay. Nobody would have saw, nobody wanted to inherit the earth. The Jews, all they were interested in was inheriting the what? The land. Their, yeah, the land. The promised land. Exactly. Yes. So the meek will inherit the land. And meekness, by the way, and it needs to be said because there's, there's this ridiculous public Christian on Twitter who... Um, <laughs> just faintly, he's calling people to like be way more courageous and to not turn the other cheek and to stop being meek. He literally said this, I do not follow a meek Jesus, you know, to which, <laughs> well, that's interesting. Then you don't, then you don't follow Jesus, but you also misunderstand what meek is. Yeah. Meek means you don't take advantage of your position. Yeah. Oh, that's right? a good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Meek means you're not using, you're not using people to your own advantage. Yeah. Ooh. And, um, right. <laughs> throw, and so, a lot of the American church. Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. And the meek are contrasted with the wicked in Psalm 37. And the wicked are those who oppress the righteous and rob the poor. And that was an indictment of the Jer- uh, Jerusalem temple complex. Mm. So Jesus, these are biting critiques yeah. at the same time of being affirmation. So, uh, let me give you one more example Um, We don't have to go through all of them, but like merciful, blessed are the merciful. One of Jesus's favorite sayings in his ministry was from Hosea 6. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And in the context of Hosea, what comes right before that statement is judgment against Israel um, for focusing on sacrifices over mercy. And so, again, these are people, even, even the poor, that are you know, way more immersed in the text than we would consider ourselves to be, who would recognize that these aren't just random call-outs. Right. What Jesus is saying, okay, he's, he's, he's doing something, uh, or, oh, I got to do this one. Sorry. The pure in heart, all right? That comes from Psalm 24, and it's about those who aspire to climb the hill of Zion, to go worship at the temple. And, and he says, the pure in heart will see God. Now, see God there doesn't mean see God like you and I think of it. It means see God's glory return to the temple. Huh. Right? I mean, come on. <laughs> and, and so, okay, here's what he's doing. All right. This is a very ancient rabbinical technique that Paul uses too. Yeah. But he's doing something called stringing pearls. All right where he's stringing together Old Testament passages, right? They're never just quotes. Remember, if you quote a part, the whole thing is in view. If I say, for God so loved the world, I'm not just referring to the first few words of John 3.16. I'm referring to the whole. Or um, the Lord is my shepherd, right? That's Psalm 23. The whole thing's in view. So Jesus isn't just quoting these little bitty words, but he's stringing together passages that all paint one picture, all right? This is, and this is the portrait. The eschatological future promises of God to Israel are being restored in Jesus and through these people. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Damn. 
Now that <laughs> that's a big deal. Is, say, is it safe to to say? I think we talked about this last week. The um, we're in oral tradition time period. Yep. For for a lot of it, so most of these families, whether even if they were poor or whatever, these were these were stories and scriptures that they probably spoke and heard. Oh, absolutely. All the time in absolutely. their house. So absolutely. it's not like uh, those of us who kind of just grew up in the church heard no. those verses out of context no. or just as like or you know painted on someone's little wood panel on their house. That's right. Before you were ever. And we have evidence in Galilee was where Jesus is teaching now that this was true. There was a solid system of education through synagogues where uh, boys and girls would be educated differently. But prior to their getting into a trade, they would learn vast portions of the Torah and they would be instructed in the faith of their forefathers. So yes, this Jesus isn't being obscure here. This yeah, is, he's those, doing those what all the other rabbis are, are would really do. pulling all, all this tradition yes. these people have in their brains filed Correct. up. Correct. Paul does the same thing in Romans when he talks about how all have sinned, not one is righteous, not even one. Uh, he groups, he strings together a bunch of texts from Psalms to make that point. Yeah. So the the Again, this feeds into these aren't ethics, these aren't individual things, and these aren't just random call-outs. Jesus is making an eschatological point about what he's about to do, and he's doing it in a surprising way. Because there is surprise here. So, to use an example, uh, have you seen um, shadow art? Do you know what that is? Where they take garbage... And they form and shape garbage and then like they hit it and it looks just like you walk in and it's just a pile of garbage. I mean, I've but seen the version sh- of my kids watch on YouTube. That's not probably not as eloquent, but I think it has the same end result. Yes. And, and when a, a, a certain light hits it, yeah, all of a sudden it forms a shape. Yeah. I pulled a couple of images off of Google. Maybe we can include in the, in the show notes, but okay. the idea is you walk in and it's just a pile of garbage. Yeah. And then the lights go off or uh, a, sh- a shadow is introduced or a light is introduced. And all of a sudden you see, oh, that pile of junk actually turns out to be two people, you know, sitting, yeah. um, uh, talking to each other. And so what Jesus is doing, see, Jesus isn't the first one in the scriptures, of course, to utter these blessed kind of sayings, right? Psalm one begins that way. Blessed is the one who da, 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 yeah. da, da. Um, Psalm 119 is full of this, but what Jesus is doing is Jesus is blessing people who were not considered to be favored by the rest of in power Judaism. So there is something here that he's doing that is punch. It's, it's not only comforting because if you are one of the righteous poor, if you are one of the, the mourners over the state of Israel, Jesus is saying, it's here. Yeah. The kingdom is here. Oh, and he got, streamed together images. I got goosebumps. What's it? Nice. We're well, saying it's here. What you waited for <laughs> yeah. is here. And the surprise is that it's offered to you first. And the indictment is that it's not offered to Jerusalem first. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, these things, you know, we, we get this image of Jesus as, you know, just this... 
I don't know, very matronly Mr. Rogers kind of person. And who knows? I love Mr. Rogers. We need more Mr. Rogers today. But Jesus has both that and some fire. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like he really is meek, but yeah. that doesn't mean he's weak, right? Meekness is not weakness. If I could, you know, drop a dime. You're flowing um, right now. <laughs> meekness is not weakness. And so, so he's offering this upside down kingdom to them, to the ones who were not in power, who were not content, who were not satisfied, to the ones who were angsty and angry and victimized and oppressed. These people were not finding relief in any of the remedies of traditional Judaism. They were dismissed by the Pharisees. They were not treasured at all by the Sadducees. The Essenes looked down on Israel and just said, we have to give up on the whole thing and form our own communities. And the Zealots, a group yet to be formed, but certainly the impulses were there in Jesus's day. The Zealots were ready to take uh, on Rome by force. And here were these people, those with seizures and severe pain, right? And fishermen and day laborers and subsistence farmers. And here is the King Jesus proclaiming all of these great promises from the Old Testament. For those of you that have space in your hearts for God because of how sucky the world is, I've got good news. You are blessed in virtue of feeling that way because the kingdom is offered to you, baby. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That just, that I, I'm so happy. I love this stuff so much. <laughs> yeah. Well, it just, I mean, it's, it's feels dumb to say, but you know, it feels very poignant and appropriate and timely. Yes. This is the politics of Jesus. Yeah. Right. This is the shape of the political entity that he inaugurated. Yeah. And, um, And I I just love my kingdom is made up of such as the poor in spirit. Oh, the poor in spirit. That phrase um, comes from Isaiah 66 and it's in it's economically poor, but poor also in terms of contrite and they have nothing left to hope in, but God. Yeah. What, how did meek, what did you, uh, people who do not take advantage of their position? Yeah. I think that's, yeah, it's, Moses that's was such a meek. fast, yeah, it's such a fascinating, um, it's just a really interesting pu- pushing out, you know, this, uh, just that your money and your wealth and that kind of stuff, that's, it's not that the content of that, that precludes, it's just this, that's right. Meekness and spirit. It's just, that's a good, that's, little, right. that's a good little simple definition that I think says a ton, obviously, but. Well, and you can see why. So when Luke record these, he only records four of them, but he also records woes as spoken by Jesus. So in Luke six, he's like, blessed are the poor. Yours is the kingdom. Blessed are you are hunger. You will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep. Now you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, blah, 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 blah. And then he says, but woe to you who are rich for you have already received your comfort. Mm-hmm. Woe to you who are well fed now for you go hungry. Now, Luke is writing to non-Jewish people. So he has to pull out the indictment that is, that is already implicit to a Jewish audience, mm-hmm. right? When you read Isaiah 61 or you read Psalm 37 or whatever, you see the indictment there. The Gentiles would not see that. Yeah. 
So woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are well fed. Woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. (laughs) Now, again, we don't want to turn those into individual moral pejoratives, Right. right? That's not what he's doing. But when the kingdom comes, two things happen. Blessing for the humble and indictment to the strong or to those who think they're strong is the better way to say it. So any politics that rests on the crushing of the poor in spirit, the meek, the peacemaker is not a politics of Jesus. Right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, end of of story. Yeah. End of story. And to blatantly say to not worship a meek Jesus is to worship another Jesus entirely. Yeah. You know? So I, I just, I personally, my imagination is so captured by these things because the, who we meet, I mean, this is what Matthew does. So Matthew records the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, which is awesome. And we'll look at it. But then you just think he goes into random miracles like um, uh, like chapter eight. Jesus heals a man with leprosy. Jesus heals a centurion servant. Um, Jesus heals many. Uh, Jesus restores two demon possessed men. Jesus uh, forgives and heals a paralyzed man. Right. What what is Matthew doing? Well, Matthew has just in in the Beatitudes introduced us to the rest of the kinds of people that Jesus will comfort and bless in his gospel. Yeah. And implicitly has introduced the kind of people that Jesus will oppose through the rest of his gospel. And um and so anyway, I see the Beatitudes as Jesus painting a picture. I see the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus painting a picture of, of what the future society looks like now. Yeah. And our, and our job isn't to uh, crawl our way to this. Our job is to progressively embody it more and more. Yeah. So that God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, right? His kingdom comes. This is what it looks like when his kingdom comes. Yeah. Right. It doesn't crush the disadvantaged it doesn't crush the sick and those and i love i love that that what's included people in severe pain mm-hmm. i mean what I, he never gets this specific right it's mostly just the sick and demon possessed but it's like no no, no. various diseases suffering severe pain demon possessed having seizures the paralyzed i mean i i don't know i just think that's an amazing and specific list the kinds of people who are sitting there on that hillside. Yeah. You know? Yep. And Jesus looks out and says, yep, this, this feels like my kingdom. Mm. This is what it's going to look like. This is what it's going to feel like. Right. And you're blessed. You're blessed. And he's not saying you're blessed because you're poor. Right. He's not saying blessed because you're persecuted. He's saying, no, 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 no. Blessed are you because, because of your circumstances, you now stand in relation to me in a manner that can only be called blessed. Yeah. Your circumstances aren't blessed, but the way you stand towards me is blessed because of those circumstances. Do you see the difference? Yeah. Oh, so anyway, it's politics of Jesus, baby. (laughs) I love it. 
So that's all I got. That's good. It took me two weeks to get that. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot. So, and I was thinking about what the implications are. And I think Jesus himself gives us the implication when he begins to talk about salt and light. So I want to hold off a little bit on what's this mean for the corporate community of believers and just start with saying, hey, how freaking cool is Jesus? And secondly, um, how hard we have to work to overcome our Americanness yeah. when it comes to the text. Yeah, I think that's the big challenge uh, is can you hold, as we go through this series, can you hold this loose enough to see what Jesus is actually saying and doing? Mm-hmm. Like, can you, can you, can we all just kind of let go enough to, to let go, you know, to let some of those things get kind of sifted out of the dirt and mud that we're, we have in our brain from just, you know, I can't remember what it was earlier, but just like, that's not the way I heard it in church here. Like I heard it right. this way. Right. And it's like, this right. is not what he's saying, but it's like, but this is what I heard. Totally. Holding that and loose God enough bl- to, to, to let the, the true, the true, the truth come in through this. It's a hard. Yep. And I have taught all of this stuff wrong. I mean, I could just live the rest of my life in repentance (laughs) from things I didn't understand, but I held to the tradition that I was handed down. Yeah. Fantastic. That's not bad. But if you hold on to it for too long, what begins to happen is what you see in the American church. Yeah. Right. A church that's governed by individualism, a church that's governed by consumerism and self-help, a church that's governed by self before others. Right. Yeah. And so like it doesn't matter, but it matters a great deal because no one, I mean, I never taught this in a malicious way. I just taught, well, yeah, of course. I mean, poor in spirit is a good thing, right? Merciful (laughs) is a good thing, right? Pure in heart. Good thing. Absolutely. And that, and those (laughs) things are true, but that's just not what he's doing here. Yeah. So Anyway, it challenges me and it challenges my politics because the thing we're going to keep coming back over and over and over to is that the American church in its political framing and activeness, and I'm speaking very generally, use weapons that were outlawed by Jesus to accomplish ends they say are in the name of Jesus. And Jesus simply, you cannot make that separation. Yeah. There, is, there is nothing. Jesus never needed evil to do good. Ooh. And, um, and so of all the people who hear his words, his followers are to be the ones who literally take him seriously. Right. Yeah. Now, literally that's a different thing. Cause he's going to tell us to poke our eyes out and cut our wrists off, <laughs> but we take them seriously. Meaning we actually think this, like we actually think what's practical isn't the best measure of what's good. It's interesting. It's interesting how many things we have uh, picked and chosen to hold in metaphor, and the things that we have decided to take as just like, you know, like point and direct. You know what I mean? Like just yeah. that example oh, you yeah. just gave. Like we taught a lot of this stuff is just straightforward, blah, 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 and then it gets to the cut off your hands. Like, well, no, 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 no. He was speaking figuratively <laughs> at this point. Like, you know? Totally, totally. I know. I know. I'm like, if you take the Bible literally, then I should see a lot of blind people running around. (laughs) And yet I don't. 
you know i mean it's just yeah but this this gets at i mean it, and what i hear in your reactions is it almost a frustration of well dang it how 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 do we find our way through this yeah I you do feel I mean? that way, but I also feel very encouraged. Like just that meek thing. I think that frame, that sentence, people who do not take advantage of their position, just that frame, little that idea or that lens to be able to look through uh, is helpful. And I, But that only comes from letting go of the text a little bit, or not the text, but letting go of the understanding yeah. that I've grown up with with the text enough to hear and see what is how it's supposed to be. And then I'm like, oh. You know, it's, I, and that's, that's why this kind of stuff's encouraging for me. Cause I always have seen like the faith journey and that kind of stuff as it, as an actual journey. So to strip the rhetoric out of it, but a long walk in which I'm constantly learning, constantly repenting, constantly in process. Yeah. Um, yeah. and yep. so I, I like this. Like, I, I feel very, this doesn't make me feel hopeless or like Good. frustrated. It makes me feel, I mean, there's frustration, but it's in a different, it's in a different pocket. This makes me feel hopeful. Like God's still, like Jesus is still saying this and still working this out through at least me. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I am so, my imagination, you know, Gambas loves talking about our imaginations and how limited they are by American assumptions. Mm. And anytime I can get a look at a horizon that's different. Yeah. um, I'm so, Jesus becomes just such a different and more central and urgent and compelling figure. Yeah. You know what yes. I mean? I mean, he's looking at the, he's looking over the horizon at the generations of promises. Yeah. And he's looking at that crowd saying, it's here. Yeah, it's you, being offered to you. You seem, you feel like you lose intent uh, with the way that we tend to read or teach this stuff. And it does seem random, like you were saying earlier, where it's just like he was just like riffing on the crowd or something. Right. Where it's like, oh, I don't right, know, right. what do you want to talk about, Jesus? Well, eh, well uh, bless you guys that, are peaceful. dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so you almost lose you lose some of the intentionality and in the and the active nature of Jesus. Yeah. With the way that we present it, it's a it's a bummer. Um, we had a couple questions come in on uh, Facebook and uh, and tweets. We want to get to. Um, one of them was, Hey, are we going to follow the, the book we recommended last episode called right. Lee camps yeah. by Lee camp called scandalous witness. We're not going to follow it cause it doesn't pertain to the sermon, but it definitely paints the kind of, uh, political portrait that I think is more closely aligned with what God is doing in and through his community. Yeah. So if you haven't read the book, I think the book is a great intro to the Sermon on the Mount, even though it's not about the Sermon on the Mount at all. Right. Um, it's about the kind of politics that God practices. Yeah. And um, and, and I, we, so I we, think that we linked that book on in the show notes yes. last week and on Facebook. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, another another question we had on Facebook was, hey, is this is this even for Christians? Like the Sermon on the Mount, like, hey, and it was very graciously framed. It was, um, uh, hey, love you guys, but and I'm going to listen, but it seems like this was given under the law. This teaching was given under the law before the death of Jesus. And we're now under grace um, after the death of Jesus. 
And so, and, and he, there's a passage in Hebrews nine that talks about the old covenant being obsolete. Now, without losing all of our audience uh, and, and, you know, <laughs> introducing a massive snooze fest, um, I think that there are uh, several New Testament authors that show that that way of thinking um, is not as hard and fast as um, what what people like that would have us believe. In other words, the law, the, when when we talk about the law, what we're talking about are the are the boundary markers of first century um, um, Judaism in its um, circumscribed piety. That's a boatload to say circumcision, dietary rules and Sabbath keeping the works of the law were were not in reference to the Torah. Uh, Jesus came to fulfill the Torah and to point it forward. Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't think the law and gospel distinction um, really, I think Jesus dismantles it, first of all. Secondly, the, all of the Gospels were written after the resurrection. So why would they include this teaching if it wasn't being commended to even Gentiles? Right. Thirdly, the early church clearly was influenced by the Sermon on the Mount uh, in something called the Didache, which is an early church manual, which contains this, uh, the Lord's Prayer and many other admonitions, or the book of James. Uh, even Paul in Romans 12 echoes the Sermon on the Mount. So I just don't, I mean, I could give a much more sophisticated answer, but I, I don't, I think this is absolutely for Christians, but when people introduce the law and gospel distinction, they think it's for Christians as a command. Yeah. And I'm saying, this is not what this is. Yeah. So it can't be labeled law in the way that you say law is. Yeah. So I don't even think the distinction here is valid for what Jesus is doing. So that was a great question, though. I really loved, and it was very articulate if you want to check it out on our Facebook page. Yeah. Um, and uh, anyway, please uh, keep the feedback coming. We have lo- we had lots of great feedback. So there you go. You got anything else? No. I, I think that's a good encouragement to keep, uh, or if we can just facilitate conversation. I just think that this this stuff is, like, you just dropped a whole nugget of stuff, right, to kind of, like, sort through and and think about and i know that i do my best retention and learning through conversation yeah with other people and just kind of being like doing that and so i know that it's weird to do that on facebook because we only like to complain and uh point negative fingers (laughs) at people on facebook but i think that we do have an opportunity to do some really cool conversation over this stuff so if you guys are on there do it get in there and um, mix it up. Yeah, mix it up. That's the um, fun part of this. Yep. Yep. As always, um, we are on Twitter and Instagram uh, and Facebook. We have a website called the voxpodcast.com. We have an email, hello at voxpodcast.com. We have a Patreon page and are graciously supported by a couple of hundred people, which yeah. just still blows our minds. And so we're so honored to do this, but we're grateful um, to be able to have uh, the some of the expenses covered and our time and, and so on. And so thank you for all of that, friends. And if you've never reviewed or subscribed us, uh, subscribed us, if you've never reviewed us or subscribed, 
um, all of that's helpful for the for the algorithms, the 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 kings and queens that have taken over our lives, the all knowing <laughs> Google. I'll, I'll literally Google something and it'll show up in all my social media accounts in the next thirty seconds. It's unbelievable. Um, I feel totally safe. <laughs> anyway all of that matters and so we're grateful for it all right friends till next time see ya bye thank you for listening to this conversation the vox podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners like yourself If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash voxpodcast. You can also engage with the hosts on social media at facebook.com backslash voxpodcast, on Instagram at voxpodcast, and on Twitter at Mike Erie. Thank you for walking this road with us.